welcome to the penthouse. Uh, if you've been listening for the past couple days, um, I've been trying to get involved with the 12 days of podcasts because I've seen another one of my friends online that has a podcast. He's been doing it for the past couple years. I want to do it this year. I actually have the time to do it, but I don't have the people or the resources to do something for 12 days. So today I'm here at my mother's. By the time you listen to this, it'll be Sunday. It's my mother, Adrian. Yes, I do curse in front of my mother. I don't say anything crazy, but I don't curse like a sailor or anything like that. But I do say some profanity around my mother. So I know a lot of you Negroes be like, oh, that's disrespecting your parents and stuff like that. My mother is fine with it, but not fine with it at the same time, right? That's mother. right. So how you doing, uh, my mother? I'm okay. Adrian, I'm welcome. good, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm on assignment because I've been living at my mother's house since the seizures, as some of you know. I've been sleeping here, basically. I, she lets me go home in my house during the day because I need to go home during the day to have my own space. I'm one of those people. I'm used to being alone. So how are you today? Thank you for coming on. We're at my mother's house in uh, Washington Heights. So I'm going to ask about old Harlem, old Bronx, and things like that, and her childhood growing up here in New York. She's a lifelong New Yorker. So how you doing, Ma? I'm doing good. Mother. I'm doing fine. Sitting here signing cards. When I told her, I asked her, like, are you ready? Are you ready? And she's now signing cards yeah, while we're recording. Just one. I got to do stuff while I remember it. My mother's a, I call her a church lady. She goes to church. Three, four times a week. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You got choir practice. That's on Friday. And, Sometimes and, and, Wednesday they have. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Wednesday night practice, service. and you have prayer lines and all that. Yeah. So you want to tell our twelve listeners about yourself a little bit, where you grew up from, and how you grew up. I grew up in Harlem on 137th Street and Seventh Avenue. Okay, now that's across the street from the old Renaissance Ballroom, correct? Correct, which is no longer in existence. Right, because uh, Calvin Butts sold it. Yeah, Abyssinia. Um, Preacher in Abyssinia Baptist Church, some yeah, of you don't know. Abyssinia Baptist Church um, was was the landowners, and they were supposed to fix it up, and they never fixed it up, and they wound up selling it to a developer. So, now, so when did the original Renaissance close? In the 70s. I would say maybe in the early 70s it might have closed up. So, so what used to be at the Renaissance Ballroom besides dances and things like that and meetings? Well, in my lifetime... You, know, you have just, parties there and things like yeah. that for the kids, teenagers and stuff? Well, it was a block long. It was a, it was from 137th to 138th Street. And there was also other establishments in there. There was a, a lunch a luncheonette on the corner of 137. There was a barbershop. There was a chop suey Chinese restaurant. This was in the fifties and sixties and seventies. People, she's talking about. Well, for my memories, had to go. I was there before I was born, so right. my 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 memory picks it up from the late late sixties or the beginning of the nineteen sixties. So by that um, time, you're into adulthood. You're in your late teens, early twenties, and things no, like that. No, my early nineteen sixty. Early I was only eight years old. You said late sixties. You didn't say. I said I, my memory is from the late sixties to the early sixties. I'm gonna start from so the you early sixties to late sixties. You saying it backwards, mother. Well, anyway, there was a movie theater over there too. We were kids. We used to go to the movie theater and watch movies in the afternoons. And um, that was um, the, the spot that was between, I guess you could this say. Seventh Avenue, people. Seventh Avenue. Seventh Avenue in Harlem, which is now Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard, and it was from 137th to halfway through the block where the um, was the movie theater and the, and the uh, stores. But on the other side of the theater, going uptown, there was a, a ph- photographer. Um, I forgot what else was over Shoe there. Shoe pair place or anything like that? No, no, I can't remember now. But in, in by, by, by the time I started hanging out in the street in the seventies, there was a bar downstairs, and they used to sell food in in the back and all that. But upstairs was the dance hall, and from my recollection, I I don't remember the basketball. There was a Renaissance basketball team. I don't that was before my time. There were weddings, of course. Um, then the Frederick Douglass High Junior High School and Junior High School One Thirty Six which was Harriet Beecher Stowe. They had their proms there. And um, it used to be a, just a, a, a lively place. You hear music coming out of there. Then on my side of the street, there was um, Jock's Place. There was a, um, an original Red Rooster was on the corner of 138th Street on the downtown side. In you never Avenue. told me that. Yeah, that's where the original Red Rooster was. 
and they also there was a, a place where you sat down and ate. And in all my life, I don't remember eating in there. I, I, I every time I walked past, the food didn't smell good to me. So I, I never went in there as an adult or a child, as I remember. I don't never remember going in there. I could have, but I don't remember. Um, and then there was a newsstand on the corner. Miss Moore, she sold the news, the newspapers and penny candies and all that. This is now. This is going downtown. This is now we headed downtown. That was on Thirty Eighth Street. And now, like right before you get to the alley between our apartment building and the other buildings there, there was a um, Jock's Place. And Jock's Place was after hours, like like a, a, a nightclub. I ain't gonna say after hours spot. It was a nightclub. Jazz music and all that. And, and drugs, was, stuff like that. I don't know about no stuff. drugs. I don't know. That's before my time. I'm telling you, that was, I was... <laughs> so it wasn't like my childhood where you knew all the bad stuff where it was going on at... Yeah, I knew I knew I knew where the bad spots. Yeah, but um, Jock's place wasn't established. Was was a legitimate establishment oh, okay. that, that that was a nightclub. They they didn't do any illegal activities. If they did, I don't know anything about it. But it was just jazz. So that was in your adulthood time. That was in your childhood. In my childhood. About. Okay. In my childhood, Cause we left from there when I was twelve. And then you moved to the projects with Drew Hamilton. So you could explain to some people how part did. The initial intent of how projects were supposed to be, like the ideal of how projects were supposed to be for working yeah. families and things like that. And I know yes. in the '80s it turned into sending homeless and the strung out people mm. in there. Yeah. So you want to explain how Drew Hamilton Projects, which is on uh, what seven, a, between seventh and eighth, yes. basically, and one forty third and well, it starts well, it's one building on Seventh Avenue. There's two buildings, one forty one Street and Seventh to one forty two. Then from one forty two to one forty three is the building two hundred twenty three twenty four thirty was on 141st, 200 was on, well, that address was what's on 43rd Street, because you had to go in on 143rd Street. That was between 142 and 143. And on 8th Avenue was the three buildings that ran from 141 to 144. That's where you grew up at. Yeah, we grew up on in the 8th middle Avenue. building. Yeah, 2698 was where we grew up at. And um, the initial theme of a project was for middle-class working people. And people took pride in their homes and stuff. Because when we first got there, the doors were locked. We had the milkman deliver milk to the house and glass bottles. Um, we had a nice laundry room. We had a nice community center. a laundry center. room in there? Yeah, we had a laundry room. In one building, though. Oh, one building. Oh. Yeah, not in every building. So the, every, the, whole, the whole development shared yeah, in one yeah, laundry room. Got yeah, it. Yeah, down on 140. I don't think that's there anymore. No, it's gone. It's gone. I think I showed it to you one time. No, nah, you showed me way back. When you go down this... The yeah, ramp to where go the senior center is at now, I think. No, I, I don't know what's there. Now. There's a senior center they have in Drew Hamilton on Eighth. Yes, this is this is a real. It was in 2698. It was in the last building where the laundry room was, and of course they had to wind up closing it up because eventually the drugs came and everything just went haywire after a while. But we moved in there in 1965, and there were police officers, there were firemen, there were middle class uh, civil servants living in the project, but eventually. They um, moved on because we had to fill out affidavit. I know anybody in the project know you got to fill out affidavit every year about who lives in the apartment and who, who's still there, what your income is, even though people now probably lie and stuff because a lot of people whose moms done um, got them big apartments and all the kids done moved out, they still living in the, yeah, holding on to them big apartments. But I don't know how they do it, but more power to them. I couldn't yeah, stay. God bless them for Yeah, more for power that. to them for that. But, um, but my maintenance is cheap, so I can't complain like where I live, but... Yeah, yeah, but that's what that's what eventually happened. And the people who were working, like the cops and the and the firemen and the sanitation men and all those people, they wound up moving to Co-op City or Lennox Terrace, Espinar, things like that. Yeah, yeah. As the Mitchell Lama houses opened up, they started moving. To Charles Rangel houses. What were they called? The Charles Rangel before they were called Charles Rangel. The one on uh, where God, my grandma used to live. They on Saint Nicholas. I'm sorry, it was it called Charles Rangel? But on Eighth Avenue over there. And 130, uh, 131st on 8th. I'm sorry, St. Nicholas. All right, St. Nicholas. You had the other one on 8th, but then behind it, and then in front of it, the Lionel, whatever house. The Lionel Hampton was always Lionel That was Hampton. Lionel Hampton, but the ones on St. Nick. What was that called before they changed the name? That was Gladys Hampton. Okay, that's what it was. All right. Yeah, one was named for the wife and one was named for the husband. But those were, um, I guess they were Mitchell Lama houses too. I don't know. I never really. I assume they were. I know they was in the project. I know those came after the project. Yeah, they was they was they was across the street from St. Nicholas Project. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's also now the 70s sometime when they start coming up with the Mitchell Lama houses. Mid 60s, well, 70s. I think the Mitchell Lama houses started in the late 60s. All right, so explain early. Mitchell Lama because a lot of people don't understand what Mitchell Lama houses are. Even me in New York, you had to explain it to me when I was moving out and things like that. Well, they were they were named after these two gentlemen who worked for the city. One last name was Mitchell and the other one's last name was Lama. And they were trying to establish decent housing for de decent people who could buy co-ops Cooperatives, cooperatives, but but they were middle class people. They were they were they was always like a um, what you call it? not a stipend, but a um, they wasn't paying the, the the market rates say per se. Like if um, back in the day, if you were white and lived downtown, your your condominium or your co op rather might have cost I don't know maybe ten thousand whatever it is. But with the Mitchell Lama, there was a um, what's a word they use? I can't remember now. It'll come to me. Well, you didn't have to pay up front, basically. No, you paid up front, but it was like a um, not a stipend, not a um, oh god, a, a, a sub a subsidiary a subsidiary. I think where the where the city would pay some, and you would pay some. It was it was like that that you didn't have to pay. Like by the time we moved to Concord Village, it was out of control. By the time we moved to Concord Village, we had to pay like ten thousand dollars or or twelve thousand something like that to buy our apartment. But back then, it might have been $2,000, $3,000. Like for me, it was uh, $3,300. 3, yeah, well, you were renting with the option to buy. $3,300 down. It was, but it was about the same. It was about ten grand for me to, about yeah. eight or nine yeah. for me to own my apartment. But anyway, keep going. I'm well, sorry. anyway, I, I don't think it was that much back in the day. It might have been $2,000 you had to put down right. or $1,000 back, back, right? back in the 1960s and the, when the co-op city and all them opened up. And but but the um Drew Ham not the Drew Hamilton I'm sorry the um Concourse Village the Espinard Gardens places like that you didn't have a a giant down payment but it could have been considered a giant down Back payment then because it was. Yeah, yeah the people really wasn't you know making money they were making know. like ten thousand a year twelve thousand right, a year right and back then the secret was to save your money so that would have to do save the money you could have then but you got loans from the bank and stuff but um also the bank used to discriminate against us too for certain condominiums, I mean co-ops rather, like there's one down on 20, um, what's them places, you know, on 9th Avenue down there between 8th and 9th. I remember one of my mother's friends used to live in there. Her husband was a, was a reverend in our church and they lived down there. But I don't know the name of the houses, but um, they were Mitchell Lama too. Mm -hmm. And they, they're still trying to get rid of, even though Mitchell Lama per se really is not around as much as it is because they're not building co-ops like they used to back then. Right, they're then. still building things to rent now for straight up in yeah. condominiums. That's it. Either condominium or you're renting. Yeah, they're building these, these things for a million dollars and other kind of stuff. So Mitchell Lama's probably done faded out anyway. But those were the two men that worked for the city that was trying to get decent housing for, for middle class and I, well, middle, middle working, working poor people per se. Yeah, the working poor. Yeah. Working poor people. Yeah, because that's basically what I have and I got in at the right time. Yeah, you did. About 10 years ago, I moved out of my mother's house. And 10 years later, I'm back. Well, you're not here to stay? Yeah, because shit happens, you know. I got hurt, I got injured, and a lot of things going on. But I'm just saying, like, I moved out at the right time. Like, I, yeah. I always said I moved out at the right time. Then you, you were tired. You at the right time. You were tired, like, right after I moved out, so that would have been a pain in the ass. Because when I was living here then, we wasn't here at the same time anyway, so it was like... Right. Right, I we got always, along very well because of that. I was always, I was always at work, <laughs> and I was always at work in school. So yeah. you only saw each other on the weekends, and I had to go to work. Right, right after that, we see we would. I remember we would sit here and eat breakfast in the morning. I remember you did keep that tradition going mm -hmm. um, when I got older. Before mm -hmm. I moved out, we would sit here and eat breakfast every Saturday, and I would go right to work. Yep, <laughs> right yep. After. And then you would go to work. Yep, and I would go to church for something or the choir were, or something. That's something I wanted to talk about. I didn't think about. You work for the city. My father worked for the city. You both work for MTA. So you're going to tell people how crazy being an MTA employee is. I would tell people that all the time, like, yeah, these people, the trains, the buses, are this, that, and the third, but they're workers. They're like, what they go through and what their coworkers do, which is why some things happen. I mean, people don't care, but I would just say, no, like, it's no, crazy how everything works. Yeah, but just think about, like, it's probably just like private industry. We, for any job. We have basically. to, um, we, we took the mess from our bosses, their boss, our bosses took the mess. You were a bus mess. driver. My mother was a bus driver. And and and, and twenty three years. And and they 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 took the mess, like it, it trickled down. It took me a while to realize that um, they were catching, we were catching hell because your bosses were there. The job. bosses were catching hell. The bosses above them were catching hell. And and, and um, it, it, now it's just, I want you to talk more about the passenger situation, like oh, dealing with please. the people on the bus. 
Because you always had crazy stories about that. It was always an adventure. Every trip was the, was, was not the same. And I worked in Flushing, Queens. Okay, so I started yourself. I started in Brooklyn. <laughs> I started, I know, I started in Brooklyn because when you worked for, back then it was the Trans, New York City Transit Authority and Map Stoa. Map Stoa for the surface was the buses in Manhattan and the Bronx where those operators of the buses were not civil servants. They took a, um, I'm sure they took a written test or something, but they didn't take a civil service test. But I took the civil service test. My test was bus operator conductor. Which means that civil service, I don't know if some of you know that, outside of New York, which means you're basically a civil servant. I know other places they have different names for it, civil servants, but here, I don't know. city exams are pretty big in New York City. I don't know how it is in other big cities, but here, it's you make some decent money working for the city. If you, you know, well, stay long it, enough and work hard enough, you can make some decent money. And it's not the money so much as the benefits that, um, that you, you always, you you always have medical and... Um, and you're always um, able to, to um, take care of your family better because you have medical, and you and you have a you have a pension. Like a lot, um, I know now, there's these five hundred one four hundred one. Well, you could choose that, now because my well, now job, you could choose. They gave us pensions and a four hundred one k, but my dumbass was I was twenty two, twenty three at the time. I did, I wasn't prepared to set up. I just said whatever it is, set me up for it. Then I ended up not signing my pension, so they took out double my next year. While I was trying to move out my mother's house, they was taking out about. Mind you, my job when I first started, I was only making like, pfft, I think under 30000 for at least the first three or four years of my job. I wasn't doing much overtime because I was going to school full time. So I remember when they took out double, they said at least taking $300 out of my check. So by the time I got, I finished, they took out, I was only getting paid like five sixty, which is crazy. But I still lived at home, so it wasn't too bad. That's because you're hard-headed. I told you that niceness was going to take out the money no matter what. I understood you, you that. You had to pay into your pension. But we didn't get paid enough. So I'm like, how can no, I get who, Nobody got paid take enough. Take this out. I'm only getting paid $700 every two weeks. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I understand that too. But 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 in the long run, they took it and they took it. And they doubled up on it. You got, you got to pay into the into the pension system. Um, I also tried to tell him to, to join the municipal credit union. Yeah, join that with five dollars. You could join that, but he ain't want that money. No, I did join, but when I got suspended <laughs> for my job and they started taking my money out, I just never went back and set it up again. I just never you know, went so back. try to try to put some money on the side, have some uh, rain rain. I put money. my money in other investments, mother. All right, but anyway, back to the bus people. Um, Manhattan and the Bronx were not civil servants; they were just regular employees for the city, and they did they they did not. Um, benefit from the same things we benefited from because I my main objective was to be a um, conductor for the train for the for the subway because my test was bus operator conductor so they called me for bus operator first and I told your father I don't want to drive no daggone bus he said oh drive the bus they ain't going to call you for a conductor you might as well take what they called you for I said I don't want to drive no bus but I wound up taking the bus operator, and two weeks or a month, maybe a month or so, I ain't gonna say two weeks, maybe a month later, they called me for a conductor. And I said, well, I'm gonna switch over. They told me no, I, then, I, then they told me I couldn't switch over. I sold my soul to the to the surface. But I went, but down the line, I tried to go underground to be a, a train operator, because that was my, my main goal. I wanted to be a conductor and then drive the train. But I just couldn't, um, score high on the tests. I went to the classes and everything. You really got to know a lot about the subway in order to operate the train. But now it's open, it's not even, it's open to the public. So now I don't know what the test could be about because now I guess they train you to drive the train because... But they didn't train people back then? Back first then, thing, back you then, you had, you, no, you didn't have to be a conductor first. But I just say you probably would have benefited more. You would have passed the test quicker or passed the test higher by having knowledge of the subway. Even though I went to class but to learn about the... I think the issue with your generation was you're not test takers. Like, like yo, by the time we started growing up, they forced you to take all these damn standardized tests more often. Like, we, take it, we had to take tests every year to get out the grade by the time I was in school. So we were well, used, we're used to taking tests. I'm, I'm sure... Um, I'm not talking about high school. I'm talking about elementary school. We had to take a test every year, city test, state oh, test. I don't remember all that. But anyway, I, I, I didn't... I guess it wasn't meant to be for me to be a train operator. But that, that's what New York City Transit Authority was. You was able to move. I, I wanted to go downstairs because you, you, um, you're you able to advance quicker downstairs from conductor to motor instructor, train operator to Why a tower. Because their jobs turned over quicker. And plus they had more positions downstairs. Upstairs, it was bus operator, dispatcher. Oh. And after that, you had to kiss behind to be a superintendent. 
So those you didn't have as much position open to to the surface lines as you did downstairs. Downstairs they had so many different um, opportunities because there were so many different positions open. So all right, you know what I want you to explain. What? I want you to explain the transit strike at the time when it happened, and explain how, like you were just saying, how the map stole and the transit people were different, and how basically that wasn't your strike. Basically, if I remember correctly, it was a transit authority strike. Right, was, but I'm saying the sense of like wasn't one or the other. Wasn't didn't have to, but they did anyway. I remember you was telling me something. Well, about that. I, I don't, you know, when 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 the thing is, you you do you do what your union tell you to do. Now, even though the the train the um the train operators and the bus operators under New York City Transit Authority were local one hundred, I think it is. Map Store was local one hundred also. So if your union is against whatever they were against, you went on strike. You were you wasn't gonna be a scab and 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 cross the picket line. So when the New York City Transit went on strike, even though you were map store, you went on strike too because you because of your union. Your union was 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 basically angry about something they wasn't getting from the city. So that's why they went on strike. So everybody went on strike. That's why the city shut down. My local out in Flushing was local 1056. We wasn't even local 100. We wasn't TWU. We were local 1056, which was an amalgamated transit union. And we went on strike too because local 100 went on strike. So that's what happens. Even though MAPSTOA was, wasn't uh, considered civil servants, they were local 100. You do what your union tell you to do. And you went on strike. I don't know. My union told me to do something. I ain't listening to them because they trash. Your union is horrible. I think it should be put on blast that local 237 is horrible. Teamsters local 237 is horrible. I saw the guy on TV yesterday that I think he was the president talking about those two peace officers that got suspended because of the girl um, at the welfare office that... that um, Wait, that was the NYPD? The NYPD was called by the human resources officers. The union... The union the human resources officers should have been able to handle that situation without having to call NYPD. They were just lazy as usual. They should have. Pushing um, it off to the side of all the people. They, the young lady sat on the floor and they wanted her to sit in a chair. What's the big deal? Let her sit on the damn floor. But they got, they, of course, I guess they, 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 a bee got up their ass and they decided to um, flaunt their so-called authority. And, and when she refused to move, that's when they called the NYPD. Now, the NYPD cops, who was guy was holding his taser gun and everything, nothing happened with them, but they did suspend the human resources officers. So they were jackasses. They should have just let that the is- young lady sit there and let us let us let this thing escalate into until now. You know they're going they're going to sue. Now you know the next thing she's going to sue the city. It's kind of like at my job, which I kind of don't talk about on here a lot, but I do talk about it for how. Our security, they always call us to kick kids out of class. Yeah, yeah. But you can't take them out of class because they pay for the class and they're students, so you just got to deal with it. And they're like, oh, so I'm telling you, you tell them. This because mm-hmm. you don't want to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I got to fix your mess now. Which a lot of times, that's the problem. They want you to fix their mess. And it's like, I can't do that. And they would always try to get us in trouble. But Yeah, um, they, and then, then the way they talk, that's yeah, another thing they were saying that the, the young girl, the young lady was calling them, um, what, the, what they call your um, make believe cops or. Which is fine. Or whatever. The, you know. So. Whoever it was that she was talking to, I feel, must have got, I don't know, insulted or, or just, you know, couldn't couldn't take her cussing him out or whatever and, and, and tried to pull her off. The, I don't know. He should he should have just let her ass sit there. I was like, you want to sit on the floor? Happen, sit on the floor. I've been seeing it on Twitter all week. I haven't been clicking it. Like, I don't watch fight videos or things like that or videos with police since I am technically a police officer, so I don't look at things like that. And I don't think a lot of times people understand, like, a lot of these guys that take these jobs, in general, like any other jobs, like any other job with people, people think police officers that take jobs are special people that want to be police. It's the same thing. You need a job a lot of times, so you take the job. A lot of people aren't good at talking to people or communicating, so that's what the problem is. Because I see that my job, people don't know how to communicate with people, so that's when a lot of problems happen because people don't know how to talk to people. Like, I've had a lot of crazy things happen in my job, but a lot of times... You wouldn't know because we just taught ourselves out of it. We taught the person out of it, but to try to do reports for everything now, that's when things get, you know, set up the ladder and it makes a big deal out of things. And But that's why they have training. Um, they like, do, but people don't listen to training. But, like, because uh, they, they, they know the uh, um, difficulty of dealing with the public. Like, on my job, they used to tell us, 
mostly everybody that ride the bus is on medication. Anybody, not mostly everybody's taking something for for their mental illness. A lot, not all the people, but most some people on the bus are mentally ill. that get on the bus, and that's why they screw with us. They they want to they want to start arguments with you and all that kind of stuff. And they teach you to try to ignore them. But when you get into the situation, a lot of times. You're having, you're human too. See, you're having see, a bad see, day. You don't know how like people don't, don't seem to realize that, that, that like cops and everybody else, they got problems at home. Their wife and them might be fighting. They may have money issues. Somebody might be sick with cancer. Their mother might have just died. Their father might have just died. And, but then you, you, you do your three days or your week or whatever it is for death and family, and you go back to work, but this stuff is still on you. And um, a lot of times people just push, your wrong, push the wrong button and um, you're angry at your wife, you're angry at your husband, you're angry at your kids, so you go off. Right, but then, like, I always see what people say, but, oh, but you're a professional. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but you're but human. I always tell people, it's the same thing at Georgia. You know, you work in an office, you might go off on your boss or your supervisor or another co-worker. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're human. And we all have we, we, we all have a, a, a level that that's, that's going to make us go off. And... Um, it's hard because we're human. You, you try to separate the two, but majority of the time, I think that's what it is. It's personal issues involved with pressures from the job. You want to do your job, then you got this jerk in front of you calling you all kind of names and everything. And it's good just to walk away or just ignore them, but it takes a lot. It really takes a lot. So I admire police officers and, 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 um, and people who deal with the public. What about social workers who have to mm-hmm. deal with the people in the welfare? Imagine working in the welfare office nowadays. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. A lot of people didn't have. A lot. It's a, it was crazy back then. The day when I, when um I got on welfare for that six months or twelve months. No, it wasn't a year. Maybe eight months after I gave birth to you. I think I was um you was born in March, and I think I was back to work by that by that January, whatever it was before before. I know it was more than a year, less than a year. I went back to work. And dealing with the with them um, caseworkers, and a lot of them caseworkers who were also welfare recipients at one time, who took a test and got a job or went to school and became a, a, a social worker or whatever it is, they seem to forget. These people seem to forget where they come from. They they seem to forget what they used to be, and and you gotta have you gotta have um, some consideration for people, some kind of compassion, but. Well, sounds are different. We're a self-absorbed generation now. Yeah, where people just don't care. People want to care about themselves and their problems and want mm-hmm. you to care about their problems mm-hmm. only. It's a me, me, me generation. Which is my big beef with my job, with the nonsense and bullshit they putting me through. It's like, it's not me I'm worried about. It's my mother, my sisters, like my friends. These are people that's taking care of me now. And I have to make sure my life, when I get things back together, I have to make sure I can help these people the way they help me. Yeah. And be there for these people. And I'm gonna, I just want to say that quick, fast while we're recording. I want to say thank you to my mother, my sisters, Mavis, Michelle, and Nadine, uh, all the women in my life that are here, my cousin, Aunt Michelle, um, my aunt, Anna, like, I'm not so many with my niece, Stephanie, uh, I was like, all the women in my life have been 100%. And as I was telling my mother a couple weeks ago, or last week, I, that's why I feel kind of guilty since I've been hurt, that... All these women are doing things in my life, and I have no women in my life where they could have been doing this. And my mother, she's like, well, that's what I'm here for. And I get that. But at the same time, me being 34 years old, I just felt like, damn, now, like, uh, I really need to get my shit together and be a better man. So my mother, because she retired. My mother's been retired for almost 10 years now. And I just feel like this is your time to relax. Like, you've raised me. You've worked. You've been through your life. But you've you've been, I I ain't going to lie. Since you've been retired, you've been kind of living it up. Like, before you retired, you've been having fun, going, traveling and stuff. You just don't sit around. You stay busy. Yeah, I try to. So, let me ask you about that then. You were talking about me being born like my father. How did you guys meet? If you want to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> I know you spoke to me about it, but I think it would be interesting for the podcast. Well, back in the day, everybody was getting high. This is the 70s people we're talking about. 70s. Yeah, like 1971. You ever went to Club 54? Or Studio 54, I mean? You ever went? No, I never went to Studio 54. What was the proper I, I spot went, for we went, I, I went to the village. Oh, when, oh, you went to the Ville. Okay. I used to, yeah, Electric Circus and, and places like that. I really didn't go to the discotheques um, like Studio 54. I didn't, I didn't go to that. And by the time that was in existence, I was hanging out on, in, in Harlem at, at um, Dawes, Divan, Gus Bar, um, all up and down Lenox Avenue. Remember Gus was around when I was a kid, right? Yeah, Gus, was, in, Gus was still there, yeah. It's like the early 90s? 
Sorry, but back to my father and you meeting. Sorry. I think Gus's was still around then, because there was bars everywhere. That that was the life back in there. Was bars or now? Now is it? I was on the bus the other day. Not to change the subject, but I was on the bus the other day, and I was counting how many barber shops there were between. I got on the bus at 155th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. Before the bus turned at 163rd Street, I counted about. This is only on the uptown side now. Ain't no many, ain't no telling how many was on the downtown side because I was facing the uptown side. I passed about five or six barber shops and about five or six hairstyling places. A lot of them are next to each other. Too. And they right next to each other. I said, boy, oh boy. But anyway, before back in the day, it was bars and liquor stores every other block. But I met your dad when I started hanging out on Lennox Avenue. And um, there was this place upstairs on 140th Street off of um, Lennox Avenue up, the, on, up on the next top of your godfather. It was his apartment. Godfather Charles? Pig. Oh, Alfred. Alfred. Who I'm named after. Maurice Alfred. That's my he had godfather. An he had an apartment there, and it was called the Ranch House. Why was it called that? Because <laughs> it was like home home on the range, like like a ranch, like um, like where the, where the cowboys would go and, and chill out. This was a place where everybody used to go chill out. There was a room in... It was a big apartment. Oh my goodness! You walked in the front door and it, and it took up the whole, that whole side on the, that windows, that face. When when the guy got stabbed or whatever it was when you was a kid, you and your father saw the guy jump out. Yeah, one forty second. Well, one four zero on Lenox Avenue. I'm sorry, my memory is messed up. That's People, all right. I don't remember. One hundred forty three. The big building on the corner. Across from and the And them, them apartments were so huge. It might have been like an eight. And Woolworth was across the street. Woolworth was across the street. It might have been an eight room apartment. With mm. the kitchen, of course, in the bathroom, but but it might have been like eight, because the living room was the room in the front. Because back then in the day, I'm sure when the when the white man built all these apartment houses, there was a room for the living room, there was a room for the dining room, then it was the kitchen, then it was the bedroom, bathroom, then the bedrooms. So it might have been like five bedrooms or something like that. And Marty rented a room from from Pig, and um, used to go up there to um, buy drugs. We used to go up there to get high. So I met him up there upstairs, and and um, I think he was one that was selling it to me too. It was him. It was Les. yeah. Dad did tell me his little escapade. I'm not gonna get into that. It was, telling it was, a, it was a lot of Joseph and stuff. The things they used to do back in the day. Well, I don't know about him and Joseph. That's that's their like story. I said. I'm not getting into that. I'm not telling nobody. Yeah, that's that's. He did tell me some of his little his wild times. So that's that's <laughs> how I met your father buying drugs, and then then we would go over to 100 139th Street, Lenox Avenue. There was another apartment over there. We would go over there and hang out in there and. He would hang out in Gus and dolls and all that stuff, but I wasn't I wasn't interested in Marty at that time. I was with this other guy. Marty's my father. I, I was I was messing around with somebody else, and um, so Marty and I didn't get together for a way. I say back seventy eight, seventy nine. That's when we started um, getting closer in friendship and, and all that stuff. But when I first went over there, um, he was with this other woman named Adrian. Her name was Adrian. This little short. Really. Mm hmm. His, his girlfriend at that time was Adrian also. She was a nice lady too. Her father was a cop and all that, but she was out there getting high like everybody else. <laughs> Everybody's out there getting high. But we, I, all I can say is I had a ball running the streets. Thank God I never went to jail. Was it was was in the place I got busted by the cops, uh, but um, didn't get taken. And um, it was just the way it was back then. Just the way we worked, we were, we were working drunk junkies. We were, we were working uh, drug users. Almost all of us had jobs, and we were on the weekend. We would we would um, turn up party yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your I always like to say I always tell my mother her generation ruined employees employment for us because you used to do all the drugs and go to work <laughs> and all that stuff. That's why we can't do drugs at work and things like that. Yeah, when the drug testing came along, yeah, yeah. When they started the drug, that's what stopped me from getting high. Anyway, um, I stopped getting high when I was pregnant with you, but then after I had you, I started getting high all over again, taking a blow every here, here and there and around. And then um, when I started working, that's when I worked for the police department. That was a PAA. Explain uh, what a PAA is. A police administrative aide. I was like a secretary. I would I would do clerical work because uh, Mayor Koch back in the day said that um, all these cops who were sitting doing desk work. We should hire civilians and put your asses back out on the street and do so you could be a real cop and hire civilians to do the paperwork. They still have these people too. Yeah, yeah, and they and, and they still have cops doing desk work right, too. Right, because they got to assist people like me from my agency who can't 
into their system after signing with NYPD. But anyway, keep yeah, going. like like if you had been a police officer with with your injuries and stuff, you would still have you wouldn't have to worry about yeah. a job. You would you would they would put you inside to to do desk work or whatever. I would probably assist a desk sergeant or something. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, um, that's when I worked for the police department from 1981 to 1989 when I went to transit. So why didn't you enter NY? Why are you in work for NYPD? Because I was stupid. That's why. Um, I enjoyed getting high, and I told them, I said, I ain't giving up my high to be no daggone cop, but back then you did have to piss, for, I think, for to be a cop. I said, I don't want to be no daggone cop, shoot, I want to be able to get high. And that was my that was my mind frame back then. But cause they, the guys, all the guys I worked with who were wonderful, I'm telling you, I don't know how those police officers acted on the street when they did <laughs> their job, but they were nice to me. They were very nice guys. And what we, we, you didn't work at a police station. You worked at uh. First, I worked at Street Crime Unit on Randall's Island, which was where the guys were uh, Muggle with Mary. There was, there was this lady named Muggable Mary. She would dress up like like she was homeless or something like that, and and, and she would get mugged all the time. She came out of Street Crime Unit. Street Crime was um plain clothes cops who rode around in unmarked cars, who um assisted in crime that way. They they were they were elite. They was like over regular patrol officers. Okay, let me quick, quickly explain for some people. It's not like how now each precinct has their own plainclothes unit. They had, they had a Pacific unit. This is all they did in New York City. A street crime unit. Back in the right. day. They worked all five barrels and they were the sweetest guys in the world. Like That's why I like now with the plainclothes in your neighborhood, some of you people, you know your plainclothes guys, mm -hmm. you wouldn't know these people. Mm -hmm. Right. So and, I'm sorry, keep going. And like I said, when you, when you, when I got pregnant with you, I didn't want for nothing. I cried when I walked into the room for my baby shower at the pre at the uh, command because they had bought me everything from from stroller to crib to everything. Yeah, I remember they, the picture you showed me back in the day. Then, 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 they, then they helped me bring all the stuff home in the in the, in the squad in the, in the unmarked cars and everything. They were they were awesome, awesome. Uh, my lieutenant, all of them. At first, when we first got there, I think there was a little resentment because we were black. Now there was already a girl there, Patty. She's a white woman. She was there and um, forgot the other. I think Patty was the only, only only female there, and she was a cusser. She was big and fat and cussed everybody out. Smoked cigarette after cigarette, cussed out her mother. She was she, Patty was something else. She was really really something else. But she was a nice person in 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 heart. But she was tough. Then then she didn't want to teach you how to do the job. She was one of those kind of people. Yeah, because they of course it was me, Kathy, um, Diane, Yvonne. We were all black. And so when we came in, it was like, oh, my God, we was in this white world. We already had our, in our mind the concept of, of cops. So not to trust them, you know, not, not, not to get to be friends with them. But after a while, you find out they were human beings. That's why I can't be hard on cops because I know I work with them and I know they're good people. But anyway, after I left street crime, I went to CCRB, the Civilian Complaint Review Board, which has changed immensely now. I, I don't think there's any cops there now. And I was another bunch of crazy officers, and and we we just had a, a good working a, work, a good work environment. And and um, first I was I worked in the uh, complaint room where people would call up with the complaints against the cops. Then you had the crazy people calling. Tell me about that lady you used to always talk about. Miss Fumes, she would call up. He's burning me. Who's burning you? you the super. Did you, Did you call the cops? Would you would you call them? Call him, please. He's burning me. Oh my God! <laughs> then I got this other guy. See, when when I first worked there too, they they used to give you the calls that they knew were the nuts. And this man had me going on the phone one day about the um the spacemen and 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 how he had me believing that he was really dealing with out of space people. And when I hung up from him, everybody was dying. Everybody was looking at me. I said, "What's so funny?" Oh man, he ain't nothing but a nut. He's a crank caller, da 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 da. So that was that was a great. I meant. And this was um down in that, Soho, no, right? No, we first started on Central Park South. Do you still use them things? I put them up in the closet. The clearance. You mean the things? The, about the, the thing that was in that blue box. Oh okay. Because I put it up in the closet. I had peanut skins on my. Table. Oh okay, but oh. anyway um. The first place I worked when I went to CCRB, we were on Central Park. I'm sorry, Park Avenue South, right out, right, right above Union Square Park, and we might have been there for two years or so. Cause I put in a transfer from street crime, not because I didn't like working in street crime. I wanted to work at the at the um, courthouse, 
Oh, near in their in, in their complaint next room. Next to home. So I'll be able to walk back and forth to work. Okay. So that's how I wound up leaving street crime. I didn't leave street crime because it was anything wrong with the guys or anything like that. I just wanted to be close to home. And when I put in for they said they had an opening at, at Savannah Complaint. I said, I still got to, now I got to go downtown. Further. Yeah, because well, street, crime, street crime was on 25th Street on Randall's Island. So that, right. that, that was that was ideal getting to. But um, then I had to go down to, it was 14, I had to get off the train at 14th Street and, and ride the back of the train, whatever it is, and come up on 18th Street, whatever. Matter anyway. of fact, let me just finish the interrupting story. Explain that, the trains, how they used to work. Because I remember that a lot when I was a kid, that certain things weren't open. Entrances at certain train stations, like you couldn't go in the front of one train, you could have to be in the middle and some, but now the whole station is open. Well, now access. now I think more stations are closed. No, but I mean the station itself. Like let's say 163rd over here. It's open as a whole. It's not like how sometimes they will close entrances and things like that. I know they stopped doing things like that because people were getting robbed and raped yeah, well, that's, and things well, like that. That's why 163rd Street, there's no entrance now to 163rd Street. No, it's all one. But I'm just saying, I know you say you have to be in the back of the train. Like, I know you don't have to do things like that anymore. Like, they changed it because of, no? like... No? Nah, it's not like, um... I remember... Uh, yeah, because you just... I didn't you mean to bring just, this up. You just knew where to get off... At, no, I get you, what you're saying, but you I'm just, just saying, like... To I remember, save your walk. No, but I'm saying, I remember certain train stations, like... You have to get off in the front five cars and stupid things like that. Like, they change oh, a lot of that stupid only, stuff only, like that. only one that, that you have to ride the front of the car that I know of, and, and you still have to do it that way when you get to... No, but I'm saying it was more stations like that. Yeah. I know that's the only one still like that on 148 over there. The 7th Avenue, the, the number three train last stop. You that's gotta, still like you, that. You got to be at the front of the train in order to, to get off um, at 145th Street. You have to... Yeah. Put the 145th Street, the whole, but now I'm, they're fixing the stations. Yeah, so it's not going to be like that no more. They, they're going to change it up. Like they but did no, it, it wasn't that the stations that it wasn't the stations were closed. It was that the front of the train. I can't explain what I'm saying. You could probably explain. The front of the train, you would get off. You would be on 14th Street, right? And then you would have to go upstairs and walk all the right. way through the I'm park. I'm saying like it's not like that anymore. A lot of these stations, because of. But a lot of stations are still like that. Like um, like 145th Street, 145th Street. Yeah, but they're going to change that. Soon, like they well, I don't station. think they're gonna change that because the police precinct downstairs. Back, back in, back in the, in the old days, we were able to walk from 147th Street I know, to 145th Street through the station. But now they built the precinct right there in the middle of the station. But so now you know you have to be if you want to get up at 147th Street, you gotta be at the back of the train if you're going downtown, the front of the train if you're coming uptown to get up at 147th Street. I get Street. that. What I'm trying to say, it was more often. Trains were like that, but it's switching up because they're changing stations, so it's not like that. I don't know. I want to say that because I know on 163rd here, you have to do stupid things like that. Go to the end across the street and things like that, and you have to do that a lot in these stations. You, I know you don't take the train much anymore, but what I'm trying to say is they change a lot of the stations where... Oh, I hate my fucking memory right now. I just remember certain stations where, like where Jamal lives, if on, it used to be on McCullen, like... You only could exit stations in certain places. Like you couldn't enter and things like that. Like you couldn't enter the station. But now they have stations where you can enter them at all points. You can exit them at all points. That's what I was trying to say. Because mm. it's a 167th Street train station, but they had an exit on McClellan. But you could only exit that station. But as I grew up, they put turnstiles that you could enter there as well. But now they're getting rid of the um, the turnstiles. I, I, I mean, at least they're getting rid of the token. They got rid of the token booths. But they bought some token booths back because people were but complaining. Wasn't, there was a token booth on 167th Street, but 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 not his exit. His, his was an entrance, was an exit more than right. A, but then on, yeah. well, I'm trying to say two on 135th, they took away. Matter of fact, at this station they took away the the token booth for a while. Now when they did the station back, they brought it back, which makes no sense to me. The token booth was always on on the station. Now, for a while, they got rid of it, and then they brought it back, I remember. I don't remember that at when all. When they was getting rid of the ones on 135th and stuff, they got rid of Token Booth Curfew. Just had people walking, taking the train from spot to spot to check the station. But then, that's like right before I got my job. They got rid of it for a little while, oh, I remember. Oh, I don't know. But they was having issues with people in the machines, as always, so they had to bring people back in the station. Just like on 135th, they took it from both sides, but they had to bring it back on one side because they were having issues on the other side of the train station. They had to have the guy walk around the station across the street, all this stupid stuff like that. Don't you don't take public transportation as much, so you don't remember, know the dumps that they got going on down there anymore. Yeah, I know. All I know is most token booths are gone. Like on Ford and Road, they're gone. The stations that I frequent, I know they're gone, but um, I don't know. But anyway, it was 23rd, it was, I'm sorry, it was um, 14th Street Station to go to um, 
18th Street, whatever that was, but CCRB was. Then CCRB moved downtown to the Puck Building to um, Lafayette and Houston Street. And that's where I, I don't know, now they're further down. Now they're down there um, almost by the World Trade Center, I think, now. But um, when we moved in the Puck Building, that was nice. It was brand new. It was clean. It was really, 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 really nice. But I thought it was not an old building. They just built that. Basically? The puck, the puck building was there before me. So you talking about it was new and clean? What are you talking about? That the, they renovated the floor. Oh, they renovated it. Oh, yeah, they, they gutted it and they made offices for us to work at the Civilian Complaint Review Board. It was, it was good. It was real, real nice. Because it was like the the building that um, we lived, we worked in on um, Park Avenue South was an older building, and it wasn't as as modern. I guess now. Martin, your Martin is not the Martin that, that I knew back in the day. Now, now Martin is completely Martin, but it was it was more up to date when we moved down to the Puck Building. We had the computers because we had a computer set before. We didn't have a computers because computers weren't around when we were working. We had to um, we had computers. They were just coming on onto the scene, but it's nothing like it is now with the internet and all well, that technology stuff. Technology ex. Ex it, yeah, escalated very quickly escalated within quickly. the past 30 to 40 years. So. Yeah, less time than that, it seemed. But um, it's really changed. Just like the buses now have GPS on them and all that kind of stuff, and they could track you wherever you're going before you could take the bus where you wanted to. You could take the bus to your house if you wanted to. You could take the bus shopping, park outside Pathmark, and go shopping. I would like to add to this, because this is how my mother used to buy my Jordans back in the day. She would drive the bus to Models and get my kicks for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While she was working. Yeah. <laughs> stuff you can't do like that anymore. No, you cool can't do stuff that like stuff that anymore. you can't do for your family. Like shop for Christmas, grocery shop while you work oh, on the yeah. bus. Oh, yeah. You can't do any of that stuff anymore. But, can't um, do that no more. You got any questions for me, mother? Or anything you want to say to me? Well, what made you want to do a podcast? I didn't want to do a podcast. Pablo and Brandon wants to do a podcast. I didn't want to do it because I felt we're not interesting enough. I'm not, well, not we. I'm not interesting enough, I feel. For a podcast, like I may be interesting enough for a conversation, but for mass people that listen to me, I don't think I'm that interesting. Plus, I don't know how to talk to people sometimes. Like my sense of humor gets me in trouble because a lot of things I find funny, other people don't find funny. Well, that's on them. Yeah, but it, it gets me in trouble. Mm. A lot. Uh, but people don't know when you're joking or when you when you're being serious. Cause I know how to keep a straight face for a long time. I get it from you because you used to mm. always joke with me like that, and I used to be able to keep it up for a while. But a lot mm. of people. Especially with women, a lot of times I have problems. I'll say jokes to them or say something to them when I'm not being totally serious, and they'll be like, "This guy's an asshole." Mm -hmm. But I was just joking with them. Like I wasn't being serious. Like yeah. I'm not a malicious person. Yeah. But my sense of humor just wick like a little off. Yeah. Well, you haven't met the right person who has the same sense of humor. Because people gotta have things. Some people gotta have things in common to get along. Sometimes so, it's not enough, though. And sometimes, sometimes it's, not it's just not the time, or it's not meant to be. So. Yeah, that's right. And um anything else? What is um what is after this? Like um after the podcast, what you, what you what you think what you think you're gonna be able to do? I have no idea because we've been doing it for two years. And it it's been two been, years, and it hasn't been as lucrative as you would think it is. Cause uh, something like I always tell, I had the discussions with Pablo Brandon and sometimes Dollar's nephew Taryn about how I look at other people's podcasts and. In general, I was, I'm just one of the people I watch people think. I watch things a lot before I get into things. Like, if I were to buy a car or something, I know I'm getting that car. You don't have to talk me into it because I've been doing my research. I've been mm. asking questions. So, I've been watching a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts for years because podcasts have been around for a long time. Really? Yeah, I remember when Apple and the iPhone and things like that used to always have podcasts. I remember one of the first podcasts I used to, I used to, used to listen to was uh, Fat Man Scoop and his wife. You don't know who Fat Man Scoop is. Mm -mm. He's a DJ, he do parties and stuff. He's a producer, writer, rapper, whatever. Him and his wife used to have a podcast, and I used to watch it. Because mm. they are basically a newlywed couple. He's a little bit older. What they used to talk about? Basically, their marriage and things mm. before they didn't marry. They were a little bit older when they got married. Like, he was like 40, she was like my age, like 34, 35, 36. That's not old. That's the perfect no, age No, but to I meant in the sense of like, in this society, that's old. Because you, people usually get married when they're younger, when they get, and women usually get married when they can have children. Because the older women I get... You can't have not can't shoot, but a lot of. But I thought it's changed. Like when my day, people were getting married at 17, 18, 19 right. years but old. But you were having children too. They were having children. We're getting yeah. married later, but the later we get married, a lot of women can't have children or shouldn't have children into their thirties. So yeah, but now now it's making it so that that it's, it's safe for they they found. Well, they have surrogates and things like that, but a lot of times for people like me, working class, they ain't have it. If I get a woman pregnant and she be the same age as the third, she won't have the baby if she's not. Yeah, <laughs> well, 30, 35, and thirty six is the age now women are having babies. Um, now. 
down. A lot of women are, are waiting until they're in their 30s. So I think that's a good age because I was 31 when I had you. And I was considered old back in 1984. I told you I was the oldest person in, in, in my maternity room. Them, them girls were 17, 18 years old. I was the oldest one back then. But now it's, it's the norm that women are 35, 36, 37 having babies, 38. So, um, well, a lot of them are having their first children. Their first child, that's correct. That's what it is. They're having well, their you first were my, child. You were my first child in 80, my only child in 81, when I was 31. So, um, and like I, I wasn't planning on having, I didn't want any children. Because your father and I were party people. We were having a good time. He had his children. He had Michelle and, and Mavis. Already. Yeah, he had them grown. They, they, Mavis already had her children. She was, he was already a grandfather. And um, I said, well, that's it. And Marie had all her children. My sister had all her children. And I knew what it was, the responsibility, how serious it is to have a child. Like, I'm good with that. How, how your life changes <laughs> and everything and how your life is your child. It's not about you no more. I said, I ain't having no damn baby. Hell No. And Marty and I were having a ball. Then all of a sudden I got pregnant. I said, come on, I ain't pregnant. I went to two doctors and they said, yes, you are. I said, get out of here. How far along were you? It. Well, it might have been two months. Oh. Oh, yeah. So back then, yo, you had to go to like special places to get rid of babies at two months. Now you can just Oh, I would have. Well, no, 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 no. No, no but I'm just saying. I'm just saying to but say. But that didn't. Once, once I got. No, I'm going to no, I'm I'm say. That. Once I found out I was pregnant. But the, I told you the first one was a spontaneous miscarriage. The first. That was in 80, 82, 83. When the first baby just. Just aborted itself. Just came. I didn't even know I was pregnant then. Until I started bleeding. I wouldn't stop bleeding. So I said, well, something's wrong. That's when I found out. I had a spontaneous miscarriage. And once that was done, you had, you had to go clean me up and all that stuff. And then um, the next year when they when that guy set the store on fire and Marty and I had to stay out the house, oh, that was 83. Anyway, when we went back into the apartment, that was it. When when, when we had relations, I, I knew something was different. I said, boy, something ain't right. Something don't feel. And sure enough, I was pregnant. And um, there was no, no thought of getting... Getting, no, I wasn't getting saying rid that. of you. I'm just saying. But once, 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 once I got pregnant with you, once I said, "Well, it must be, must be meant to be." I said, "Well, my thing was I couldn't get high no more." Cause that was all my thing was I just wanted to get high all the day on time. So I said, "Damn, I can't get high." So um, cleaned myself up, got you know, stayed sober and everything till you were born. So that was my, that's how that's how my mindset was. I was all all I wanted to do was get high. I don't want people to hear this, but she's keeping it too real. But she's, yeah, she's keeping truth. it to a buck because a lot of people. But it's uh, the truth. So that you got nothing else for me? Nothing else? You don't want to tell me anything? Or I think I told you enough. I'm about myself or something. Like you don't want to ask me any more questions or anything because I don't. I get. I, I don't know what to podcast. ask you because um, I've embarrassed myself many times on this podcast on a lot of my stories. I just want. I just want to know how you feel inside coping with your with your illness. How how do I'm how not do. coping with it well. I do need to seek therapy. Because when I talk to people about the things that's going on with me, a lot of people can't understand what I'm trying to say. I sound, I don't know how I sound, but I just know I'm not used to sitting around doing nothing. That's because you're, you're, you're being, a worker. used to work. I don't want to call a good worker. I just work because I have to. Yeah. But I'm just saying, in general, I'm just always trying to do something. Like, even when I was on vacation, I was always doing something. Mm. Like, I've always had, I'm like you. I've always had something planned to do when I wasn't working because I knew that when you're not working, it's not enough time. Now I have all the time in the world, and I don't know how to use this time because yeah. I have a lot of emotional things going on. I'm always at the doctor. I'm going here. I'm going there. So a lot of times when I do have time to myself to sit down, I'm literally just sitting there trying to talk to myself and calm myself down. Like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Da, da, da. You will. But I know when I talk to people, it's, it comes off negative, but I'm just projecting. I'm just getting it out of my system so it's not in my head. Which I know, which means I have to go to therapy because I said something to Fabian the other day about something. He just tell me all the stuff. I said that's not what I'm trying to say, Fabian. Matter of fact, you said something to me one time when this when the teachers first started happening. I was like, I'm not trying to say that. Mm. I'm just saying this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling, and I understand these things will pass or whatever. So whatever happens is gonna happen. There's nothing I can do about this. It happened. I have to deal with it, but um. Yeah, but I'm just thankful that um, what your 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 your, your your um illnesses can be controlled by medications, because there's so many people out there that that get get sick and 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 um, it's like a death sentence. And um, I'm not trying to say that 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 you shouldn't uh, feel something, because your life you you have you you've had life changing 
um, illnesses. Your back life, to back. Your, yeah. Back to back. Your life has changed, especially the second time now. You can't drink. And, of course, drinking is a, was a way of an escape and a way to have fun and stuff. You can't drink and um, smoke or any more stuff anymore, reef anymore. And um, you got to be sober. So at least that that's that's a good thing about it. But... Um, it's, it must it's 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 uh it must be it must be difficult to adjust to. It's like somebody finding out maybe that they have a tumor or find out they have um uh, uh terminal cancer, and and of course the person's going to you know your your life you the first thing you're going to say is oh my god why me, but um if you could learn just to try to live you could not try you're gonna have to to learn to live with it, and um. Don't I, I feel you shouldn't uh, um, focus so much on being sick, but focus on getting well because your thing could, could you could beat this eventually because they they're saying that after two years sometimes they even take you off the medication. But um, there's somebody always like like when when my knees used to hurt or my or my 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 when I had that Achilles problem. Whenever I started feeling sorry, I said, why the heck is this hurting like this? Why me? God would show me somebody in a wheelchair with no legs, with no feet. Or he would show me somebody that, that was worse off. I, I, I would hear about somebody from church or whatever that's, that's, that's worse off. Somebody, somebody that went blind. Um, um, somebody lost a leg or, or something like that. So I said, dang, I just got to be thankful that I'm not so out of it that I, I, I have to depend on somebody. Like you could still live your life without depending on somebody taking care of you. Like like your aunt Marie, it breaks my heart. She can't get up. She can't get up and go to the bathroom. She can't get up and and and, and take a walk. She can't um, take care of herself anymore. She can't cook. You know she she can't do nothing for herself anymore. So somebody's always worse off than you are. And and I I know what what you're going through because I'm going through with with you. And I know it's not easy. And I be saying the same thing. Why my child said he was healthy all his life. Now, as he's coming to being a good man and everything, and, and should be looking for a companion to spend the rest of his life with and stuff, all this has happened to him. But you're still here. You're still able to talk to me. You're still able to look at me. I'm still able to talk to you and look at you, and you can know who I am. It, it's not like your brain exploded that you don't even know who I am anymore. At the beginning, you didn't know who I was. But, but that that came you came through that so I don't want you to dwell so much on your illness as what you can't do is what you can do and um, maybe this podcast could um, also open up to people who, who are going through illnesses or, or different life life altering changes and, and and how you have to adjust to a change of um, of um, a medical change in your life. Sometimes it's a physical change. Somebody could lose you. Could walk. It's just how, how life could just change in, in a twinkling of an eye. You're good. You're, you're well today. The next day you're sick. You're well today. The next day you don't have a stroke and you can't take care of yourself no more. You got to depend on other people. You ain't got to depend on nobody. You know you could take. You thank God you're still able to take care of yourself. Some people they they can't take care of themselves anymore. And that's the way I want you to look at it. That um, it's it's, it's everything is a lesson. Everything we know, I know the cliche. Everything happens for a reason. We don't know why things happen. I always say things happen so, so you could get closer to God, so you could call on Him. But um, a lot of people don't believe in God. A lot of people think God don't exist. But I I can tell you that I don't think I would have gotten as far as I have gotten if it wasn't for for people praying for you and stuff like that. And um, eventually you come around hopefully spiritually but medically I'm just glad that it's not that, that it could have been worse you could have had a massive stroke and then you really had to depend on me to take you to the bathroom to, to do all those other kind of things thank God you could do you could go to the bathroom by yourself you could bathe yourself so your thing is of course it's a setback it's a it's a, it's a life altering change in your life but it's but it's not death it's not um um, you lost your independence. You still have your independence. So I just don't want you to dwell on it so much that it's it's bad, yeah, but it's but it's not good. It's not bad, but it's but it's not super bad. It's something that that you can live with, thank God, and that you you're able to to um, take care of yourself. That's why I don't want you to dwell on it so much.
All right, thank you. All right, I'm gonna end it here, people. Uh, people that have been listening, we're still gonna try to push through with this 12 days of podcasting. I don't know who, what the podcast is gonna be, but the episode's gonna be for Monday. I have no idea. We've been scrambling. Um, I like to thank my mother for being on here. She should have been on here before. I remember I wanted Pablo to get his father on here mm. to record because his father was also grew up in the streets and everything, in 60s, 70s, and all that. So hopefully that's next. I hope so. I hope he comes on. I, I just, that'd be nice. I'm not going to lie. I'm happy. I was trying to get my mother to say some things, Excuse but she me. didn't say them. So I'm going to get off here before she realized what I was trying to pull out of her. Thanks for listening. This is uh, day three. So Sunday, thanks for listening to Pounds Platitudes. Mom, thanks for being on here. Mother. You're welcome. I don't know what you're trying to get out of me. We're out.